Hey there, welcome to the pseudo show. This is Brandon. So didn't quite make it to the every other week for the podcast, but at least I got a second episode out in August, which I am I am proud of. Getting there, getting uh, back on that cadence isn't going to be easy for us, but we will get there. I do have a bunch of videos recorded that I just need to edit and get on YouTube. As I keep promising, please uh, get subscribed to the Pseudo Show YouTube channel. That content will be dropping here pretty soon. Now today, we'll be talking about conferences. Neil was able to attend a few open source conferences between May and the end of July. So we basically interview Neil to talk about those conferences. So here is Summer of Conferences. Bill, Neil, thanks for uh, getting together with me again. This is basically the end of conference season for, for many open source projects and communities. OpenSUSE had their conference back in May, DevConf, which is a very uh, Red Hat project-focused uh, conference, was in June. KDE hosted Academy in July, just a couple weeks ago from this recording. And Guadic pretty much has just concluded, as well as Flock to Fedora. And Neil, I know you were able to attend OpenSUSE, DevConf, and flock to fedora in person so i wanted to get your perspective on on these conferences you know what the outcomes were i believe you did a academy remote gosh that's a lot of time in europe my friend yes i'll say that it's also a lot of non-contiguous time in europe i think that made it a little bit more difficult i hope i don't have to repeat that exact strategy again if i have to have a, a quote unquote a summer of conferences again I want it to be me contiguously being in one region for a while because it is incredibly stressful going back and forth like that. Not exactly what I want to, I want to repeat. So the question begs to be asked, Neil, what's your best piece of advice for handling all that jet lag? Arrive two days early for every single one of these and then plan to just lose a day. That is literally the best advice I could give. Like, so for example, I went to... When I went to DevConf, I arrived a day-ish early. I arrived, and I had to go through a whole day of trying to navigate through train system, whatever, to actually get to, to my hotel. And by the time I got to my hotel, it was like 8 o'clock in the evening. I crashed and did not wake up until 8 o'clock the next morning. 12 hours of sleep. But it's very, very important that when you arrive in Europe, especially if you're coming from North America, because of the way the flight schedules all work, you cannot arrive in Europe without taking an overnight flight from the United States. And so if you are someone like me who cannot sleep on a plane, this is going to very much suck. And so I account for it by taking an extra day back and staying awake the whole way until I get to, the, the, to my hotel and I go into like minimal effort mode until the end of the day, because I have to stay awake and then fall asleep properly so that I reset onto the time zone correctly. Otherwise, I am screwed up for the whole week and there is nothing anyone can do about it. Good advice. I 
follow that as well when I go to Europe. Not not quite the same, but it's really hard to get acclimated if uh, you're not able to get any sleep on the plane. I sometimes can. I can pretty much sleep anywhere I land <laughs> if I'm tired enough. But Oh, if you're tired enough, all bets are off, right? Like if I'm absolutely wiped out, I can sleep on a plane. But that's because my body can't stay awake anymore. That's that's pretty much that's a very extreme condition, and that's happened to me only once, and I will forever regret that. In fact, that when that's happened to me, Neil, part of the reason why your advice is so practical is because not only do you attend these conferences, oftentimes you're giving a talk or you're conducting a workshop. So having a good night's sleep is really important, so that your audience feels as though you are engaged and able to provide your material in a professional, clear and concise manner. I also would like to be able to remember what I'm talking about. If I'm very tired, it is very hard to do that. I get that. I get that. Starting from in chronological order, OpenSUSE conference. Just in case people aren't familiar with these particular conferences, I kind of did a quick intro, but as we go through them, just kind of a, well, what's the purpose of the conference? Open open SUSE conference, like what was the big takeaway for you? And also what did you speak on? So the open SUSE conference, just a, a quick highlight of this is the user and contributor, the annual user and contributor conference for the open SUSE community. And there were a couple of very interesting highlights that I, uh, that were, I think really top tier. Uh, of the conference this year. The first was the introduction of the Geeko Foundation, which is a third-party foundation not affiliated with SUSE or OpenSUSE that is essentially set up to help support members of the OpenSUSE community in their endeavors, including uh, as well as supporting you know, sponsors and, the, and things of that nature for the OpenSUSE conference. It gives uh, a vehicle for the OpenSUSE community to provide resources and assistance to the OpenSUSE project, which I'm looking forward to seeing how that shapes up. The Geeko Foundation is intended to be broader than that, of course. Like it's a it's a general purpose foundation intended to support you know public works and in, in computing, but. It's uh, it's very it's very flavored with OpenSUSE, uh, with the OpenSUSE culture thing, and I'm really excited to see how that goes. Uh, aside from that, the other big highlight was talking all about OpenSUSE's new adaptable Linux platform or ALP, and there was a whole lot going on. There were several sessions where we had engineering leaders, community members. And a lot of excitement and interest in how this is going, how this is going to shape OpenSUSE's regular release um, distribution. So, for for those who don't know, OpenSUSE Leap is currently based on the SUSE Linux Enterprise platform. That platform is being replaced with the Adaptable Linux platform over the next couple of years. Uh, so we need a, essentially a successor to the SLE Leap thing. Um, and so a lot of the a lot of the t discussion was around that. What's going on at SUSE about this? What is the community interested in doing? There was a lot of 
great discussion and sessions about that. I think that that is actually probably the most exciting thing in a while because I don't think we've really seen such a huge change in a Linux distro family in a while. So that one, that one is exciting. And that's also included some talks about like replacing Yast with a new installer called Agama. It's a web-based installer using the cockpit framework and provides like a very interesting intuitive user experience. There's a lot of stuff around supporting things like RISC-V because RISC-V bring up has started in OpenSUSE. There's been talks about like AIML, Podman, containers, Kubernetes, all the lovely stuff that you kind of expect people being interested in. But there was also a lot of talk about OBS itself, the open build service. So they unveiled um, new features around integrating with source control systems like GitHub, GitLab, Pagger, updates to the command line tool and API. And, and they had a workshop introducing people to like how to build RPM packages, tutorials and stuff, and like how to get started with OBS. And that was, I think, really great because those introductory tutorial, those introductory workshops are great for bringing users into becoming contributors because a lot of times they don't know how to do this and how to do that. And that's, it's, it's big. And I think you also wanted to hear about like, what did I talk about at, at OpenSUSE conference? Before you get into that, Neil. Yes. Adaptable Linux. Sure. Or Alp. What? What makes it special? Like there's, I I know it's meant to be immutable. Mm -hmm. It's also, there's a reason why it was called, uh, why they use the term adaptable, but I'd like to hear, hear from you what, what, what this really means for, for OpenSUSE. So you're familiar um, with some communities having a, project versus product dynamic, right? And you know that in the SUSE world, that hasn't really been a thing. Like usually it's a one-to-one mapping and they're very tightly knit their products to their to the, the commercial products. And they would call the community side of the stuff also products, which is confusing and weird, but that's how they do it. Alp breaks this. So Alp itself is a project and a platform that they can build products of varying life cycles, components, and features from. So at the core of it, you can think of ALP as essentially tumbleweed being stabilized. When in the past, SUSE Linux Enterprise was being, a SUSE Linux Enterprise release was being made, they would take tumbleweed, branch all of, branch all the stuff that they care about and start shrinking things, hardening them and so on, and then transparently turning that into a product, SUSE Linux Enterprise 15 most recently. With ALP, what's happening is we're going every step except for the very last one, which is productization. And so you have this tree of components that came in from OpenSUSE Tumbleweed that are then hardened and stabilized and, fit and made supportable. And it's a base. It's, it's essentially the grab bag that you start from. And then from there... Different, different deliverables can come into existence. So like there's going to be something that's like Leap Micro or Slee Micro, there's gonna, which is an immutable container host-based platform. There's going to be something that is um, 
like OpenSUSE MicroOS Desktop with GNOME, which is now called OpenSUSE Aeon. There's also OpenSUSE Calpa, which is the KDE flavor of it. There's going to probably be people working on these things based on ALP. The key thing, though, is ALP is also an attempt at collaborating from the very beginning at the development of an enterprise product. So with previous iterations of this, um, you would see that the brand, the factory, the OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, I said factory because the actual project name inside of OpenSUSE for Tumbleweed is called OpenSUSE Factory. But essentially they take that and fork it, in, uh, fork it into, into, a, into a SUSE Linux Enterprise product project and then release it back out and then people build stuff on top of that. So you think like, um, I think the most common example people would know of this is like how you would glue CentOS stream with, extra, with Fedora Apple, extra packages for enterprise Linux. You glue the two together and you get a complete collection that's essentially like a stabilized Fedora. This is essentially how it works for SUSE Linux Enterprise and OpenSUSE Leap today. So OpenSUSE Leap is SUSE Linux Enterprise with what's known as OpenSUSE Backports, or it's commercially branded as SUSE Package Hub, glued together as one as one offering. With Alp, what's happening is while they're still doing that internal branching to make the Alp platform stuff. Uh, because they kind of have to for certification requirements and being able to stabilize it for commercial, particular commercial um, needs. It's all being mirrored back onto the OpenSUSE build service, and people are able to send contributions in and layer them in, uh, and, and it's it's operating more real time. Now you could contribute to SUSE Linux Enterprise packages in the past with OpenSUSE Leap but it was a lot more opaque than it is now. Um, there's been a lot of effort towards making it more transparent, making it more real time and giving people feedback more quickly. This is also on top of the fact that at least out of the gate, SUSE doesn't have a whole lot of productization going on for ALP. There's, I think uh, they announced at um, SUSECon, there's going to be like a couple of preview products that are, going to roll out later in the year or early next year. And and then further down the road, there'll be more. But the idea here from the community perspective is to give people the opportunity to get their hands dirty and actually build what they want out of it and with the support of SUSE and the community together. I think that's going to be very interesting. And I think it's also a larger trend when it comes to these enterprise Linuxes. And when we talk about Flock later, I can kind of elaborate on that. That's a whole different spin on an enterprise Linux distribution than I've ever heard. It, it really is taking the idea of that monolithic, stable distribution, grabbing it by its ankles and shaking it upside down and really rethinking about how we deploy and use Linux using the best parts of the different platforms that we have available, embracing containerization and Kubernetes as part of it, and really making that modular distribution where enterprises could make it what they want it to be. Personally speaking, as someone who's been doing Linux stuff 
for a couple of decades. That's the part I'm excited about because I've always been excited about being participatory and engaging with people and collaborating to build something awesome. That's always been my driver, my motivator. Uh, I always want to help people and I want to help people succeed. And I want to do good things with my skills. And open source is a great way for me to do that. And Linux happens to be my passion. And so I wind up doing a lot of that in that space. What I like about this is that the latest buzzword in the distribution community is immutable. And whether you're mm-hmm. talking about CoreOS, Silverblue, Aeon, Kalpa, NixOS to some extent, but this is one of those game changers and market disruptors that SUSE is going to be able to introduce to the masses. It's going to force other distributions to up their game and rethink how they're deploying their commercial offerings. Maybe. Or maybe the community will wind up building something that doesn't require the immutable stuff. Time will tell. That's the best part. Right. I think SUSE commercially is probably going to do something interesting with their transactional update technology that they've they've developed, you know, using ButterFS as the mechanism in which they provide a read-only root file system and offer um, atomic updates and and system rollbacks and all that other stuff. But not everyone necessarily wants it for everything. And we may see we may see some interesting things come out from from that. Um, right now, I think everyone's talking about the the atomic update, transactional update stuff, but there may be more. Like there was a there was a talk about do we want to have a leap sixteen or a leap like thing based on Alp, and that may or may not happen. I don't know. There's actually right now on the there's a survey going out to contributors in the OpenSUSE project asking them what you know. There's a they've narrowed down the list of different things to do for a leap successor, which one are they interested in and why, and what are you using now and why? So there's, there's definitely a process going on. I personally like the high touch community engagement aspect of it. I like seeing all the stakeholders at the table in a transparent way. So it sounds like you had a lot of fun listening to a number of the different speakers at the conference. But on top of that, you also got to give some talks along the way. So tell us a bit about your topics of discussion during the conference. Sure. The big thing I think I did there was I talked about DNF5 uh, at the OpenSUSE conference. Now, that seems a little odd, right? Because DNF's typically like a Red Hat Fedora thing. But DNF's actually been part of OpenSUSE for several years now as an alternative package manager. I use it on all of my Open, all of my OpenSUSE systems because I prefer it over Zipper, which is the current default. So DNF5 is an upcoming version of the DNF package manager. And I wanted to show off what's new about it, what's cool, and kind of give a little bit of an update about it relative to my original talk at the OpenSUSE conference 2019, where I actually introduced DNF in the first place to the community there. And that went, that went pretty well. I mean, it wasn't a super long talk, because again, we're just talking about refreshing what DNF is, the big thing about DNF being all in C++, simplified architecture, now has a daemon if you want to be able to interact with it unprivileged, all kinds of fun stuff. There's, uh, I, I think it's a very exciting update to the DNF package manager. Uh, it's also available for preview in Fedora. 
And I think it's slated, I think at this time it's been slated to land in Fedora Linux 41 as the default. I think it was supposed to be earlier, but they changed it. But DNF5, I think, promises to be a huge improvement for the RPM package management ecosystem. And I would look forward to seeing all the RPM distributions adopted. OpenSUSE, Fedora, CentOS, Magia, OpenMandriva, everybody. Just it's it's gonna be a big game changer for the RPM package manager experience. The other thing I did was I gave a brief talk about multimedia. So for those who have you know engaged with me in the open source space for the past couple of years, I've had a big kick of trying to improve the multimedia situation in Fedora and OpenSUSE. And I've been taking things that I've done in one project to benefit the other. So my talk on multimedia at OpenSUSE was really talking about how we enabled web video there. So I borrowed some of the solutions that we that you know were implemented in Fedora and and worked through the legwork and the bureaucracy to get it implemented on the OpenSUSE side. So now today a new OpenSUSE user will have out-of-the-box support for basic web video and WebRTC video without having to, you know, jump through hoops to get separate repositories or or, or third-party things or whatever. Like, it'll all just work, you know, once you install a package or two. But yeah, like, and, and some of the stuff that OpenSUSE did, like, I brought that over to the Fedora side. Uh, and I think uh, it's also a great demonstration of how the two communities can sort of collaborate to make it better for everyone. The last bit was not really a talk, not really a workshop, but something in the middle. It was so a, a Fedora talk shop. A talk shop. You're funny. A Fedora Hatch event, which is, if you're not familiar with this, Fedora Hatch is one of those little meetup type things that people in the Fedora community can do basically anywhere. Since I think it was like last year. Yeah, last year. We've had OpenSUSE, we've had Fedora Hatch events at OpenSUSE conference, and that continued this year. And so we had one where people in the Fedora community and the OpenSUSE community could mingle together, talk shop, learn things, and and of course share swag. That's the important part. The weather was absolutely appropriate for the time that I was there. And it was absolutely a fun event. And if you are in the area or want to be in the area, it's usually in Nuremberg, Germany, it's worth it. Like it's a, you get to see the best face of the OpenSUSE community and you get to meet a lot of wonderful people and Fedorans, Ubuntu, Ubuntu people. I don't know if there's a denominator for Ubuntu people. Debianites, you know, they're all welcome too. Like I've, I've met Gen2 folks there too at, at one point. It's, it's pretty awesome. Grab your swag bag, check that you have your passports because our flight is about to take off for our next conference promptly landing us in Brno, Czech Republic for DevComp 2023. Why don't you tell us about your travels out to the Czech Republic, Neil, and all the wonderful things that happen at DevConf? I myself have never been. I'm not too familiar with what it is. So let's let's have a little explanation. So this is my first DevConf in the Czech Republic. Historically, I've gone to the DevConfs that are in the United States in Boston. There has been a DevConf US every year from I think 2018 up until this year where there wasn't one, but DevConf CZ, as it's called, is the, the Czech Republic DevConf, is essentially the biggest one because it's the first one. Normally it's in 
the dead of cold in, in like early February. But this time it was in, in June and it was sunny and great. And DevConf was exciting because it was actually kind of just like the OpenSUSE conference. It was a blend of people from different communities. And it was a lot more, it was basically flipped, like where there was a lot of Red Hat, CentOS, Fedora people. And there was a few OpenSUSE folks because OpenSUSE had a booth there. It was great. They they came. It was fun. I also met you know some con- uh, community folks from other places. Like there was a few Amazonians. There was uh, Red Hatters. There was MetaMates, and all the people at Meta are now cringing because I just said that out loud. And there was a lot more out there. For my first ever DevConf in the Czech Republic, it was really nice, and I think I'm really happy that I went to one that was in the summer rather than in the winter. The most exciting thing about being at DevConf CZ was really seeing how varied it was. It's so different from most open source conferences. So most open source conferences tend to be focused on either technical, uh, some kind of technical topic or project or whatever. DevConf CZ is a pretty much all the things kind of conference. It's not just talking about technology. It's also talking about design, especially open source design. It's talking about product management strategies. It's stories of technological development. It, you know, it's building narratives and showing off exciting things. It's such a wonderful blend. I really wish there were more open source conferences like this. And I hope that we have a DevConf US again, because like this is the thing I like about DevConfs is that you get to see this like amazing blend of stories and personalities and types of, of, of talks and workshops. It's, it's phenomenal. I, there, I, there isn't just one thing that I really liked from there. There was, it was, a, there was a lot going on there. You've convinced me that I should try to go to a DevConf conference at some time. I love DevConf US. When it comes back, if it comes back, I don't, I don't know. If there's a DevConf US again, it's an easy choice to go to. But if you can make it out to CZ, it's definitely worth it. And rumor has it it's probably going to stay in June, which means you don't have to pack snow boots uh, and 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 a and a heavy winter coat to go. Well, Val, that's good news. One of the things I really noticed going through the uh, content catalog not just in preparation. I, I watched it, uh, some of it back in June. Like you mentioned design, there was like next generation for the pattern flag project, which is a, a design community for building UI elements and well, just general UI uh, UX uh, experience for open source projects. And the other thing I thought that was really interesting was edge and we'll probably uh, we, this probably again also blends in with Flock, and that's the progress made with Fedora IoT and onboarding uh, devices, nearly zero touch. I thought that was that's probably the most relevant talk in my in my field anyway. So I immediately gravitated for that. Was there any specific talk? I don't remember if you talked at this one or not, Neil, but. But were there any specific talks that you uh, really uh, found interesting at DevConf that 
you know, there's a link in the show notes to the uh, YouTube playlist uh, if you want to go search for those. It's it's a lot. There was no way I was going to go to see all of this. But I think the the most interesting things I saw, one was a, a great session. I think Steph Walter was in that and a couple of other folks was about open source services. The idea of building software as a service, but also retaining the open source principles around it to making it easy to build, to run, to test, and to to contribute to it. It's a big problem that a lot of open source solutions that happen to be run as services are actually really difficult to run and difficult to contribute to because you can't run it. You know, a truism about open source is that people only contribute to things that they use. Unless you're a weirdo like me, I, I, I contribute to a lot of things that I either barely use or don't really use a lot of because I like helping people. But most people don't function that way. I, I, I found that to be a very fascinating discussion and a, a wonderful concept that I would like to see spread more. To that end, there was also a lot of other stuff around CICD and container stuff that I, I went to. Aside from that, I think the most interesting technical talk I went to was something, it was about uh, a, a new technology called uBlock, UBLK. And the idea of having block devices, virtual block devices that you can create unprivileged in user space is absolutely tantalizing to me because there's a lot of things that you can now do if you have the ability to create block devices without having to be root. Like one of the, I contribute to a number of Linux distro image building projects. And like the holy grail would be if we could run the whole bloody thing unprivileged. That's really, really hard to do if you can't make block devices to fake a disk so you can install stuff on it properly. There's there's a lot of stuff like that where it's just like, this really proves that the open source community can be an innovative. And like, I would highly recommend people check out the playlist for this. But I did actually do something there too. I helped run uh, what's called a game day, an AWS game day, which is essentially like a workshop with rough parameters of what you're supposed to do in a fun scenario that uh, it encourages you to like learn technologies while solving a problem in a fun manner where you get points and scores and gifts and and swag and it's it's fantastic the concept is phenomenal and i'd love to do more of that kind of stuff because i think it's a fantastic way to get people excited about new technologies and it makes it a lot less daunting to pick up more complex technologies too and and i and i think that that is something that People should think about more because like in Fedora, for example, we have this concept of badges and it's a whole gamification system of like when you contribute to the project in any meaningful way, in any form, whether it's documentation, community participation, code, packaging, marketing, whatever, you can get uh, a reward for that in the form of a virtual badge. And it really does motivate people because they see that they're getting this tight feedback of like, they're doing something meaningful and they're getting something from it. And I think that applying that concept to basically any type of learning or growing growth activity is a great way to encourage success 
where it would otherwise might fail. But there is one last thing. It's a fun little talk that, if you haven't ever seen it before, it's pretty fun. Um, Matthew Miller, the Fedora project leader, did a talk of 35 Fedora releases in 30 minutes. And he just speed runs through the entire history of Fedora releases up until Fedora 35. And I think it's just fun to like kind of see at a glance not just the history of Fedora Linux, but also like he put in other fun factoids and some like cultural context, like what was the hit movie, the top songs, stuff like that. Uh, and it's great. And also you kind of see that Butterfest gets talked a lot about throughout the whole thing. And it's like, wow, Butterfest discussions have been around for a long time in Fedora. But it was fun. And I think that was like the most enjoyable, like this is a sit back and just be entertained kind of talk that, you know, you don't get too many of those at an open source conference and I enjoy them when I can get them. But overall, there's just so much to talk about and there's just, I, I wouldn't be able to, we'd be here all day if I talked about DevComp CZ. Next is Academy. And then also quickly following that was Guadic. So we have the two major uh, desktop environments holding their conferences. I know you weren't able to attend Academy this year. I usually try to follow both conferences as they're happening. I know you're more involved in KDE community than with the GNOME. We'll touch on Guadic. The biggest thing with Academy this year is Plasma 6. Oh my gosh, yes. It basically was almost the entire bloody event, uh, which is fair because Plasma 6 is supposed to come out by the end of this year, supposedly, maybe. No promises given, but you know, I think we're just a bit away from a Plasma 6 beta. And so we're, uh, at least from all of the indications I can see, we're on track for Plasma 6 by the end of the year. But like, there is a lot of discussion about, you know, the goals. And there was a lot of, there was a talk about accessibility. And I'm, I'm really happy to see so much focus on accessibility. And when I refer to accessibility, I'm not referring to the, like making it so people could get it. I'm talking about making it so people can use it, especially people who have cognitive, vision, auditory, tactile impairments, like being able or motor impairments and all this other stuff. Like accessibility is extremely important, especially with open source, because every person matters in an open source community. Every single person matters. And any person who feels accepted and, and able to use it and leverage it and benefit from it can turn around and contribute to its further success. And so it's really import, important to me very personally that, that that's a thing. Then there was also some discussions about, you know, the KDE Eco goal, which is about making it more energy efficient and things like that. And that's always great. There was also some discussions of flat packs and snaps. It's the regular thing. The most interesting off-the-wall topic I, th I saw at Academy was talking about this framework called Slint, which is written in Rust, that uses Qt as a backend for, for the UI rendering. So you get a, a, a Rust plus a declarative model for developing UIs in Rust for a Rust-based application that happens to use the Qt framework. And so it integrates really well with KDE technologies and stuff like that. We briefly touched on that in uh, a previous episode. 
Right. Yes. And that's why I figured we'd bring it up again. It's because like, it's clearly becoming very interesting to people. And as odd as it is to me personally, apparently people want to write desktop applications in Rust. And if they want to do that, let's at least make it feel like you're not hurting yourself doing it. There was also a lot of discussion about like some of the stuff that makes KDE, the community special, like talking about things like Caden Live, the Matrix and Activity Pub work that's been going on, stuff around the K notifications, and, and essentially how far out the KDE community is willing to go to build a polished and expansive experience. But the thing that I want to narrow in on and focus on just a little bit, aside from um, my own talk, which we'll get into in a minute, because I gave a talk remotely to Academy. But the most inter- the, the thing that I want to narrow in on was that there was a talk about headless Plasma Wayland using remote desktop technologies, particularly the RDP protocol. And I'm excited about this because there are many cases where it makes a lot of sense to be able to offer something like this. I've heard of some wackadoodle cases, like somebody wants to run their desktop on a mainframe, and I'm just like, I don't know what you're doing here, but I mean, you if you if you have a mainframe and you all you want to do with it is run a bunch of desktops, fine. But you do you, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, that's as, as odd as it sounds, though. There may actually be a business case for something like that. I'm not saying on a mainframe level, sure. but if you took the concept of an immutable distribution and you combined that with these new, if you combine that with the new RDP enhancements that have come out, in theory, you could effectively build a viable Linux terminal server you could offer to a small business. Sure, absolutely. I think VDI is coming back in a in a very interesting way that one I didn't expect because I think it's actually because of on uh, of streaming video games. Because this because the idea of being able to play heavy duty video games without having to have the heavy duty hardware yourself is becoming a lot more appealing now that the network bandwidth is getting better, latencies are getting lower, stuff like that. Like I know I don't necessarily want a jet engine of a graphics card in my home on my computer to play games. Although I don't play games that require jet engine graphics cards. I know of people who do. And not having to have a jet engine graphics card also means not having a jet engine graphics card price. And so there's a, it it makes games more accessible to a wider range of people. And if you didn't know this already, you will now KD plasma is the desktop of steam deck. And so being able to extend and expand the capabilities of KDE Plasma to support use cases like that are important and, and I think very compelling. This is obviously for a more prosaic case of like just being able to remote into a desktop and be able to do stuff, maybe run it headless, that sort of thing. We'll, we'll have to come back to that in a bit because there's going to be some relevant talks about this at Flock. But... Uh, so put a pin into it and we'll we'll come back to it. But after that, the other talk that obviously was important was the one I gave, which was about entering a Wayland-only world with Plasma 6 on Fedora. So I've been socializing this within the Fedora KDE community for a year now. And the KDE community upstream also is aware of this and we've been working on it. 
But Fedora, the current plan is that Fedora is not going to ship an X11 session for for KD Plasma when we roll over to 6.0. It's going to be Wayland only. And there's a number of reasons for it. I would encourage you to go watch the talk once the recordings are up or or but to to put it very succinctly X11 development ain't going anywhere. <laughs> and uh and the Wayland world has really done a great job of catching up and integrating the necessary features to support users' needs. And I'm very, very proud of how innovative and how um, daring the KDE community has been in solving people's problems. They have come up with some truly creative solutions that enable people to be successful on a Wayland desktop that nobody else was willing to contemplate. And I'm very, very happy that they did because it makes that journey easier. And I, you know, as speaking as someone who's like leading Fedora KD and, and driving a lot of this work, you know, this is, I'm hoping that we can provide value to the KD community by being able to help them where we can to support their endeavors in moving forward into a Wayland world. And there were some fireside chats talking about KD Wayland afterwards and a panel where people took questions and stuff. Again, I encourage you to watch the recordings for this stuff when they all get posted. I think right now they, they don't have the high quality cut up recordings. It's just the live streams, but the high quality recordings should be up later. There, there's a lot of good stuff in at Academy. So we're only going to touch on, on Guadic. Neither one of us attended. I haven't had a chance to really dive into the videos. I usually try to watch them after. This haven't gotten to, to that through with my busy schedule, but probably the common theme across both Guadican and Academy, well, maybe not theme, but two work streams that are very similar is they're both working towards headless uh, system, a, a headless solution with RDP, which I yeah. think is great. RDP is a great protocol, though I know some people may disagree with that, but it, it is a very performant protocol, much better than VNC, uh, some of the, that especially VNC, <laughs> but it, you know, it's actually under active development versus some of the other theoretical high performance open source protocols. But I think what this could open up is not just using RDP because you brought up, actually, I haven't really thought about it until you brought up, you know, this is, this could potentially be for high performance gaming, you know, for, for that type of remote solution, but being able to use a more higher performance protocol. I know Nvidia is no longer supporting their uh, remote protocol that they that they had pioneered. I forget the exact name of it. It was N- Nvidia. The open source implementation is called Moonlight. That's uh, uh, some of the other things that that that's prompt that's been prompted in my head. It, th- this could potentially enable. The Linux desktop to use those mo- those higher performing remote desktop protocols. Sure, and actually, this is going to be a little bit of a callback back to the OpenSUSE conference. Um, it wasn't covered in in Guadec, from what I can tell, but at OSC, the developer who actually is working on this gave a a breakdown of how it's being implemented for GNOME and his motivations for doing it, and it's a it's a great talk. And it's it's definitely worth watching. 
And the counterpart to that one for KDE was at Academy where they talked about remote desktop. They were both great talks to go about this. The other thing I found interesting about Guadec was that there was also talking about accessibility. It seems like accessibility is coming back in a, in a good way here, which I'm really, really happy to see. That, that's one of the things I've noticed in Gnome Circle. The applications that are submitted, they're being vetted and they, they need to meet certain guidelines. And one of those guidelines is accessibility. So it's looking like accessibility and open source is making a comeback. For a while there, I was getting a, it seemed like there wasn't getting a lot of attention. I know a lot of applications that were being written at zero accessibility functionality sometimes less than zero and you don't want to you don't want to hear what i mean by that so here's what i like about both of the topics regarding remote desktop optimization and accessibility open source is now able to be a productivity tool for those that may not have had access to that before without having to leave their house because a protocol like rdp essentially gives you citrix like capability to access applications remotely and present them in a way that's usable for those that may not be able to use them otherwise. So I think those two things combined really emphasize how much open source is really trying to reach out to everybody globally and make it usable. Now we just need Quemu to support RDP directly too. I would very much like it that because, you know, it's not just the the desktops that need that kind of stuff, right? If you're virtual machine consoles, like, I don't know if you've, you know, Bill, you might have done this before where you've had to cra- virtually crash cart into a VM and, and, and go fix it through the console in the hypervisor and stuff. We don't have good protocols for that right now over a distance. Like, the, most of them do some variation of VNC, and those are horribly inefficient over the network. I would like to see KVM get um, RDP because then, you know, when you're in an emergency scenario with these virtual desktops or virtual machines that are headless or whatever, you, you'll have a recourse to be able to go and fix things. Last conference and you know, basically wrap up from here. This is a, a flock as of this recording closed out last week uh, on August 4th. Neil, I know you attended this. It was in Cork. Going from remote back to Europe, there hasn't been a flock for four years. So I was very happy to see flock coming back versus doing uh, the uh, virtual event nest. I think Fedora is moving in the right direction in many regards. What was the key takeaway this year from your perspective? So I would highlight the fact that this is the first flock that also had the CentOS community integrated in it too, because it was also a CentOS Connect embedded within it as a as a uh, mini conference, so to speak. They had a track of of stuff. the The key takeaway is that the Fedora community is actually succeeding at what they want to do. Whether it's expanding the availability of Fedora to everyone by making it available on other computers or making it accessible on more platforms, whether it's 
expanding the lines of communication to in, to include more people with the discourse forums with the modernization of uh of the chat system from IRC to matrix things like that and it's also a fun event still it's still all about having fun they had every day had some fun activities involved that people could come together and be social and hang out and have fun and that i think really was the most important part is because everyone had a good time the fact that everyone had a good time coming together sharing what they've done and collaborating in person i think that's the key takeaways that it was the energy is still there the passion is still there and the people are still there we had new faces as well as some old ones and that was very important to me. And I'm very happy to see the success that we got with this event. Less happy about the four times going to Europe, but like this part, this part was good. So I know there's a lot of good news and direction in terms of Fedora. And I think it's really neat that CentOS had kind of its own track embedded in because CentOS is still very important to Fedora as Fedora is important to CentOS. We still come from the same roots. Of the different talks that were at Flock, what were some of the keynotes that you took away? I think this is a community building year. A lot of it was, there was a lot of talk about. There was the State of the Union type talk that we had as a keynote for the first one, talking about where Fedora is and where it's going, talking a little bit about strategy stuff. There was also talk about DEI and making sure you support people coming in who are different and and support their inclusion. I think it's it, the highlight. Really, has just been uh, the, the 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 key take the key takeaway. There is 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 just that. There's everything else that's been going on is essentially some aspect of that. That's a good point because I think many of us put COVID nineteen in our rearview mirrors, and we forgot about those conferences that we missed. And now that we've all come back together, I think one of the things I've taken away from you and your different adventures is that it's about getting together. It's about seeing each other again and shaking hands and being in the presence of those who we've missed in our conference lives. And although there's some neat things coming out with Plasma 6 and virtual desktops I think from what you've told us, the important thing to take away from all these conferences is let's put that all in the back burner and let's just concentrate on being together right now. I know at the OpenSUSE conference, it's mainly about that. It's it's hanging out in the that beautiful outdoor pavilion before, during, and after and sharing a cold beverage and just being in the presence of those who we work with behind a computer terminal, whatever that looks like. I really hope that I get to go back to more conferences. Now, I'm I'm very guilty of conference abdication, we'll say. I, the last conference I went to before scale was, wait for it, Linux World Expo at the Jacob Javits Center in New York City. The year was 2000. That's a long time ago. That was a very long time ago, and I was quite a different Linux user then. I would be more than happy to share with 
some of you the highlights of that conference, you would have to go back to the pseudo show that didn't exist in 2000 for you to be able to hear that. (laughs) But to your point, Neil, you keep emphasizing community and you keep emphasizing that these different communities are working together, whether it's OpenSUSE and Fedora, Fedora and CentOS, and everybody in between. DevConf, actually, I think you kind of emphasize that the most where it didn't matter what district you came from, was very agnostic. And that's forced me to really rethink what I'm going to look for when I go to my next conference. So I really appreciate you kind of shifting gears for us away from all the emerging technologies back to what I'm going to call emerging people and emerging communities. Yes, but the technology is still cool. Like <laughs> it is cool. It is still very cool. And at Flock, there was a lot of technology stuff going on. Like the of the so part of this was like the first day of Flock, I apparently spent almost the whole bloody day giving talks. So <laughs> I had to go back later to go see some of the other stuff. Um, every day I was doing a bunch because I apparently am involved in a lot in Fedora uh, and CentOS. So, but like. Uh, in all seriousness, right? Like there was one of the most exciting things that I got to see at at Flock was um, hearing about some of the things that people, uh, the other people are working on. Like Justin Forbes gave a talk about the Fedora kernel. David Cantrell talked about a tool called RPM Inspect, which he wrote to help it, you know increase the provide tests and quality assurance for. RPM packages being built in Fedora, CentOS, and RHEL. There was a great talk about how RHEL development is being brought into the open through CentOS Stream. And then there was things like, you know, State of Fedora Cloud, KDE and Apple. There was so much, like, and there was even, like, an AIML meetup, which was neat. I didn't even know that there were people, like, super interested in machine learning in the Fedora community, and then there's a SIG with already like working on bringing in Rockham, the AMD stack, into Fedora to enable an open AIML stack in the distribution, which is fantastic. I want to see more of that. I don't know what I'd do with AIML, but I would like to see more good stuff rather than bad stuff with it. And then there's, of course, my stuff, which there was a lot. It started with me with my co-chair in the CentOS track talking about the CentOS hyperscale SIG. Uh, I don't know if we've talked too much about this in the past. We will have to do an episode about it at some point because I think talking about CentOS stream and the hyperscale SIG and some of the other community stuff going on in CentOS deserves deserves some special attention of its own because I don't think a lot of people have managed to shine much of a light on it. But, you know, the hyperscale SIG is a special interest group in the CentOS project that's intended to build practices and support people who use CentOS in business environments to collaborate openly in the community, to bring their large-scale deployment knowledge and expertise and technologies out into the open to benefit the rest of the CentOS community. And it's a it's been a very interest it's been very interesting to see how that has grown. I think it's the most popular SIG in in CentOS and it provides uh, it does it does a lot in, within the project and the community, and and it's because there's just so much there's, there's a lot of people interested in doing cool stuff with CentOS, 
and contributing to CentOS Stream is included in that bucket. I know that I have enjoyed watching your streaming sessions of the times that you've been working on CentOS Hyperscale. And at first, I really didn't understand what you were doing. But as I followed the stream more, I started to pick up on kind of where your headspace was at and your workflow and what you were trying to get out of your time contributing in that moment. So I genuinely appreciate the fact that you made that stream publicly available to everybody so they could kind of follow along and feel like they were a part of that development day, so to speak. I've been a little busy lately, so I haven't been able to do much of it, but it's something I want to get back to doing more of. I like being able to show off what I'm doing and teach people as I go along and have people learn from the stuff that I do. So I find that to be very nice and 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 fun. So yeah, further down from that, from the CentOS Hyperscale stuff, I helped give a talk about Fedora Cloud KDE. Do you remember when I said we got to put a pin into that remote desktop stuff at Academy? Well, let's take that pin out because we're going to talk about it now. So me and my co-presenter, David Duncan, we gave a talk at at Flock about the idea of having essentially a layered um, edition or layered spin off of the Fedora Cloud Edition called the Fedora Cloud KDE spin. And the idea for this one would be to provide the KDE Plasma desktop configured in such a way that be amenable to be run in the cloud as a cloud desktop, whether it's be for software development or high performance work or game dev or whatever. And the idea would, and, and the goal of this would be to demonstrate that you have a compelling option using purely open source technologies to be able to run virtual desktop infrastructure, a virtual desktop solution. With the development, we, we attempted to build a prototype. The prototype on Plasma 5 didn't work. It turned into a discussion of, you know, why this has been a, taken so long to be a real thing. And, you know, it was, it, it actually, I think this is one of those talks where you learn more from your failures than your successes kind of thing. And the prototype, uh, you know, if we, if David and I ever get it working, he, you know, we'll probably make a recording and, and show it up there and, and give people like something to, to drool over while we figure out the, the real version, which with Plasma 6 will be a thing where we can offer this Fedora Cloud KDE on any cloud, anywhere, or you can build your own. And that's that's going to be really, really cool to do. And then I think the thing everybody was super excited about at Flock was the highlight that actually made breaking news all over the tech space, or at least wherever I saw it, was the Fedora Sahi Remix announcement. Uh, and this was the announcement of a two-year-long effort partnering with the Asahi Linux project uh, to make the flagship distribution for people using Linux on Apple Silicon Macs, Fedora Linux. And so we have the Fedora Asahi Remix, which integrates their work into the distribution in a way that it can be shipped and used pretty much from the get-go. Right now, there's development builds. The goal is to have a generally useful release by the end of the month. And, and at this time of recording, it's you know the beginning of August. And so we're talking about the end of August of, of 2023. This, I was blown away with how 
excited people were about this and how far it went. And I think it's the first time in a very long time that I wound up showing up on like mainstream tech news. It was so weird. When I saw that, uh, I put on my list of things to buy uh, a MacBook again. Oh my gosh, you too? Join, yeah, join the club. No, I may, I, it may end up being a a Mac Mini, but versus a a MacBook, mostly because I probably wouldn't travel with it anyway. So, <laughs> Neil, I recall a couple moments where I had exposure to this, and one was at scale, where I saw the folks at Meta had a Mac Studio running Asahi Linux, and it gave me a little bit of deja vu going back to Linux World Expo in 2000, where I saw a bunch of Sega Dreamcasts that were all running Linux off of a CD. And I thought, this is rather radical. And then I saw that Mac Studio running Asahi. But the watershed moment for me was not that. It was when you came to my house a couple months ago and put a MacBook Pro in my hand and you said, open the lid. And upon opening the lid was Fedora Asahi Linux. And I, I thought, how, how cool is this? I get to hold a piece of emerging technology here in my hands as a hardware network guy that Before not many people else? have gotten to mess with yet. And it yeah. was an amazing and cool experience. I am so looking forward to having enough money to also procure a <laughs> Mac so that I too can have Asahi Linux running on Apple Silicon hardware. Well, pro tip, now we're three generations into Apple Silicon Macs. You could probably pick up one reasonably affordably if you go refurb. Pick up an M1 versus an M2. Actually, I I was looking at a MacBook for my wife the other day, and I I almost just said, I'm not getting you another Mac because of how expensive it is. Yeah, no, this was this was actually genuinely the most exciting thing. And it was also like one of the few times where my talks was like super well attended. Like there was not a there were butts were in all the seats. It was it was a very odd feeling. It almost felt like a keynote, but it was also at the end of the day. I I was really, really proud. Uh, I am really proud of how this came out and how this worked. And I'm very, very excited to continue the partnership with the Asahi Linux project on on delivering a polished Linux experience. Oh, and the flagship is Fedora KDE. It's Fedora. It's just Fedora that's the flagship, or is it just, <laughs> or is it KDE that is the flagship? Well, so the flagship variant is Fedora Asahi KDE. There is a Fedora Sahi GNOME variant. There's also a Fedora Sahi server and minimal variant. And so you can you can do whatever. There's when the cut up recordings are done and you can you don't have to seek through like I think it's like 7 hours or 5 or 7 hours of like live stream recording to get to to my talk. It'll be a lot easier to to watch. Yeah, I I'm going to be watching that and if if I happen to notice it and remember to update the show notes, I'll make sure the appropriate link is in the show <laughs> notes. But as of right now, uh, just like Aquatic, it is a straight link right to the <laughs> YouTube channel. Eight plus hours live streams. Eight, yeah, eight plus hours of stuff. So 
Yeah, I also found out, you know, unrelated in a different event that I was at a while ago that the streaming limit is apparently 13 hours in YouTube. Once you hit 13 hours, it cuts you off and you have to start over. Interesting. I don't think we'll ever hit that, but okay. I hope we never hit that. That is a way too long stream. But yeah, like, so on top of that, then the next day was um, me doing a bunch of panels. Um, so I did, there was um, FESCO, the Fedora Engineering Steering Committee. Me and three other members of FESCO were up there. Uh, Kevin Fenzi, uh, David Cantrell. I'm not going to try the last one. The name's hard. Uh, and and I feel bad enough as it is when I butcher it, when I talk to him in person. I don't want to do it on the video, on a recording. Uh, but uh, it's it was a great panel where we 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 took questions from the community and and, and discussed things. We also I also was participating in another panel about b- activating the community to build cloud images, building a practice around Fedora Cloud to help people like build their own stuff on top of it. That went pretty well. I was a little sad that some of the that uh, the event seemed to go by very quickly for me. <laughs> because partly I think it's I was so involved in stuff, but also because it was just so much fun. And as I look through the schedule, you know, through this, I'm reminded of one last thing that was actually surprising and interesting at the same time. It was a panel by the different enterprise Linux members moderated by Matthew Miller um, talking about collaboration and cooperation, you know, in Fedora, Apple, uh, ELN, CentOS stream. And I think it was a very good talk and a very good panel of why it is important for everyone to come together to collaborate and to be because to enable each other's success. So if you, you know, that's one of those that I would say you should you should watch. I did uh, watch that right away. So you watched that, but not mine. There's only so much time in the day, man. Only so much time in the day. <laughs> it sounds like you had a great time in Ireland hanging out at Flock, but unfortunately it's time to come home. Aw. As sad as that is. and Ireland was a lot of fun. Also, they have really good drinks. So now that you're back home, I have a couple of very important questions to ask. Number one, who had the best food? I can tell you who had the worst food. Okay. There is there is a place that was an Irish-Mexican fusion place when I was in Ireland that I went to. It did not go well. It was probably that it was it was not the the food tasted good, but it didn't last. And it was very unpleasant afterwards. Would hard not recommend. Who had the best drinks? Actually, so best drinks was a little bit of a toss up between Germany and Ireland. Like when I was in Germany, the beers are actually, they're phenomenal. But the ciders I had in Ireland were second to none. And you you already know this, Bill. I actually really like the fruity alcoholic drinks. So the ciders kind of like barely topped out, but like beers in Germany are really good. They are, they are really good. But the fact that there was like more than like one token cider at, in when I was in Ireland and the ciders were local and well-made, I was, I was in heaven. 
it was it was fantastic. Excellent. Well, I do want to briefly touch upon another conference coming up, and that is Linux Fest Northwest, which will be held in Bellingham, Washington, on the weekend of October 19th through the 22nd. If you're in town, please attend. We don't have a lot of information yet about what talks will be available, but we'll be touching more upon that in future episodes. I would say the most important thing to consider about Linux Fest Northwest is that the three of us plan on being there in person at the same time. That's never happened before. This has not happened in the history of the pseudo show. So we are hoping the stars align as well as our travel schedules and that we can be there at the same time to say hello to everybody who shows up. And maybe do something special, who knows? And maybe do something special, that all depends. Brandon and Neil, it's always fun to catch up and discuss amazing topics such as conferences, the people we've met along the way, their keynotes, their journeys, the food, the drink, and everything in between. But unfortunately, it's time to wrap up and call it an evening. So thanks again for listening to The Pseudo Show, where business meets open source. <laughs>